Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in listening. I am Jade Amies from the Leaders in EDI podcast. So this is the series where we shine a light on the progress being made and the challenges being faced in EDI across sport and neighbouring industries. And who am I with at the moment? Oh, sorry, Jade, it's Javan here. <laughs> Did you forget your name for a second? Because I, I thought you were going to team up with a eloquently positioned intro, but I guess... um. I wasn't fitting for, for that this time. I'm, I'm slacking. How high esteemed I am. Hopefully you remember it in future episodes. <laughs> um. Jade, Jade's words, mind you, not mine. So um, this is the season where we are focusing on getting a more holistic view of the EDI industry. So we want to talk to other industries and find out what we can learn from them. So what industry are we talking to? Who are we talking to from that industry? We're speaking with Mr. Jordan Hallpike. Jordan is the crossover agent at WME, which is a music and talent agency. Crossover agent, interesting job title. So that effectively means is that Jordan's role basically encompasses everything that their talent does outside of their core of performing, touring and making music. They treat each talent as a brand. So any endeavors they have outside the lane of music, he basically is in charge with finding those opportunities, fashioning the deals and eventually brokering those kind of sponsorship ambassador roles and brand partnerships. You see the likes of Stormzy, Dave, Adele eventually go into. And I came to you and said, Jav, I want somebody to speak on the music industry. Use your amazing network, go and find me someone. Why did you pick Jordan specifically? Jordan just has a, a very unique First of all, his career span is obviously 10 years plus working in music and entertainment. Initially starting out at Ibiza Rocks um, Festival, where he kind of was effectively the director of talent and programming. So when you've had the likes of Hashtag Murky Fest, when you've had the likes of Craig Craig David and the likes of the other artists. Or his less famous brother, Craig (laughs) Davil. Hit that guy. Um... Jordan basically was in charge of building the program and booking the talent. And over the course of that time, he's obviously grown an extensive network and skill set, which allows him to, one, appreciate what the world of music entertainment is and how to work with and produce events and shows with talent. But aside of that now, he's also been very vocal in the representation and the visibility of black and underrepresented groups working in music and the creative arts and to that he's created various endeavors of his own which he's co-founded and led and has always spoke so well about the space of his own lived experience as a black man working in that capacity and also to the next coming generation and is always looking to share insight where he can and given his reach and network and contacts, he really epitomizes how far you can go when you have an idea and a vision and go for it. So I was just keen for him to lend his time to share his experiences. A keen United fan, a lover of sport, which um, means he was very well positioned to draw the comparatives between the world of music and sport. So um, quite a, a unique perspective was shared. So Jordan was the first person that came to mind. And what did you talk about? What kind of issues in the music industry did you touch on? We drew upon some of the lessons that the world of sport can take from music and entertainment world in how it approaches the EDI space. We 
unearthed some of the existing issues that music and entertainment face when it comes to representation and lack of diversity in certain spaces. We also spoke to the gender piece as well, which was very fascinating. And you also spoke to some of the frameworks and strategies that can hopefully be put in place, which allows various worlds of senior leadership being representative. Also, quite importantly, he kind of really spoke to the talent pipeline, how a lot of individuals start in these entry roles in the music and entertainment space and kind of fall off when they hopefully liked and look to progress. And he really gave a really good insight into why that is and potentially how to curtail that issue as well. It was a great conversation, so we can't wait for you to listen. Without any further ado, let's go to Jordan Hallpike. Jordan, thanks for joining us. Um, we're here for season two of the Leaders and EDR podcast. And season two is an interesting concept, one that we've gone back and forth around, obviously predominantly looking at the world of EDI through the sports lens. And to that, it's become very focused on the happenings within that space. But we thought for season two to enrich the conversation and to bring diversity of thought, first and foremost, let's take a step out of that industry and see how the conversations, the landscape, and the direction of travel when it comes to EDI is being positioned or faced in neighboring industries. So keen to one, find out a bit more about yourself, take like a deep dive into the world of Jordan, and also transition the conversation to look at what representation, equality and diversity is in, in the space you've obviously spent the best part of your professional career in. Well, before jumping into today's conversation, I wanted to start with something I call a, a cultural introduction where I ask the guests to kind of dismiss the job title, forget the accolades, forget any numbers or letters after their name and just introduce who they are. So Jordan Horbike, what's your, your cultural introduction? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Jav. Um, yeah, straight in with the, 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 the deep question of who I am. <laughs> wow, how, lo- how long have we got? Um, I'm, I'm just a person that is, you know, music was always a big part of our of our household. You know, my dad playing his old jazz funk records and dancing around the house on a Sunday. You know, music was always on and that became a passion of mine. And growing up, um, I guess, you know, who I am is a lot about, you know, the environment that I grew up in and, and the people that were around me. I grew up in a place called Colchester, which is, you know, a town about an hour and a half outside of London and a pretty undiverse town. Most of my friends, most of the people that are around me were not from diverse backgrounds. And my father, my father grew up in in culture also. He was actually adopted and fostered in a small village. Um, so kind of grew up also in that similar type of environment, but always had his music and his roots of his culture as, as, as something to, to draw upon. And yeah, he instilled that in me and that was the way I connected to him to my roots. Um, so yeah, who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm a lover of music. I'm a lover of sport. I'm a lover of exploring cultural roots, um, the stories that they tell. Um, I'm passionate about elevating and telling the stories of opportunity for underrepresented people. Um, I'm super passionate about opportunities for 
black heritage individuals. And that's something that I've always tried to bring through in the work that I do, sometimes even before I even knew I was doing it. And yeah, I guess that's kind of a little bit of a snapshot of who I am. No, that's a beautiful cultural introduction. And thank you for sharing that, Jordan. And it brings us to where we find ourselves today, um, as highlighted at the 10 years of um, your expertise across music, formerly talent, director of talent and programming at, at Beefa Rocks, um, where you kind of were at the forefront of bringing the now infamous hashtag Murky Festival and also the likes of Craig Davis, TS5, and also the various elements of JD Sports being involved in that. But today we, we see you sitting in the capacity as a, a crossover agent at um, WME. And I must admit, it's probably the most interesting job title I've come across um, in the industry. So should we start there with what is a crossover agent and, and what does that entail in terms of your day-to-day exactly? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's it's an interesting title and it's a broad title. You know, when I first came into WME, which was, uh, I guess, around a year and a half ago now, I wasn't sure myself what what it meant. <laughs> um, my background, as you said, um, uh, it's actually a bit more than 10 years now. I think it's more like 15 years, but that's making me show my age. Um, but I came into the music and events industry through university. Um, I was at university in, in Brighton. I quickly figured out that a way for me to pay my way through university was by throwing events. I played on the football team at university. You know, I had a good crew of people around me and yeah, I could use that to my advantage when putting on parties. So I was putting on parties in, in, in Brighton and, and having a lot of fun doing it. I met a very good friend of mine now um, who had a connection with Ibiza and Ibiza Rocks and I finished university and he was like, fancy coming to Ibiza for the summer. I was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I'll get, I'll come back. I'll get a real job when I finish. I actually yeah. did a design degree. Um, I was like, I'll come back and, and get a design job when I when it's I, a typical when I, I'm gonna go and find myself yeah, yeah, yeah explore exactly. the world a bit yeah, yeah yeah I went out to Ibiza I had the time of my life met some amazing people and to cut a long long story short I ended up staying with that company for 12 years wow. so um, so you went out Ibiza and didn't come back basically yeah, pretty much <laughs> you hear those stories all the time right but um I was out there seasonally to start with for for about three summers working for Ibiza Rocks kind of worked my way from a very entry level position of like literally knocking on people's doors and selling them tickets to clubs in Ibiza um to eventually um being part of the programming department which saw me booking a lot of the support acts at Ibiza Rocks um a lot of the the bands and a lot of the the artists that were on the come up so that you know that was a real perfect space for me and and our view was always that, um, you know, if we could book, book the support artists that become the headliners next year, then that's the journey and the, mm. that we want to be on um, with that talent. And you build a nice relationship in that way. Um, and then moving forward, I ended up becoming the director of programming and talent, which saw me booking what started as one event a week into a seven day program. We diversified um, the event program from a live event space in the evening to pool parties and it was drawing upon my, I guess my, um, one of the first loves of music that I ever had. And I think that probably says something for my generation was garage music and that crossover of garage music into pop culture that had that sweet spot in the, in the two thousands. Um, and Craig David was 
and icon for me. Oh yeah. You know, everybody had the Born to Do It album. It was a huge period for for British music. And it was also something that I look back on now. And one of the reasons why I felt so passionately about it at the time was that it felt like it was ours. You know, it felt like it was something that came from black culture, also came from UK culture, London culture. It felt like ours. And for most of my time growing up, listening to my dad's jazz funk records in the house, you know, getting exposed to hip hop, getting exposed to R&B and soul. We were always looking across the Atlantic to our connection to a music and a black culture that could re we could resonate with. And then garage music came along and, you know, there's all the precursors that came before that also, but this was something that crossed over into the mainstream and it felt like ours. Yeah. So, you know, I always had an affinity with that. Craig David kind of like went away for a minute and then he was just coming back. And I was like, I think there's something here. Like, I think he's our guy to launch this pool party residency with us. Um, we brought him in. We had a great relationship um, and that really springboarded the seven day program at Abitha Rocks and and kind of positioned the brand into a new new line, you know, like connecting with a, a younger audience, people that wanted to party in the daytime. And it enabled me to build upon a lot of the music that I would have been programming around that period that was that was stemming from UK culture and UK black culture. You know, we were booking people like Tiny Temper and and Dizzy Rascal in the kind of like the mid two thousands. Um, we booked Stormzy um, as a support act actually for for Dizzy Rascal when he was on the come up. Wow! Um, and that started the relationship with 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 Stormzy and his team. Um, I think that might have been like 2013, maybe. And he was so great. You know, there was a moment when you look around the crowd and you're like, I think, I think there's actually more people here for Stormzy than there is for Dizzy. And that was kind of like, it was almost like a passing of the crown moment. Mm. And we decided we had a one headline slot left at the end of the summer. And we decided we were going to give that to Stormzy and he was going to come back and headline. And that then moved on to the following year, which we, we did three headline shows. Um, and then the following year, we conceptualized the Murky Festival, um, which had three great summers in, in in Ibiza. And again, it was just a, it was an avenue for us to deliver a music scene to an island that was dominated by dance music. It gave us a an an, an edge, um, a differential point to a lot of the venues and and clubs on the island. And it just happened so that I was being able to give opportunities to. Um, a lot of the artists that maybe didn't have an opportunity to perform in Ibiza previously. So, you know, that kind of became my mission in that role was to to find opportunities to platform talent, um, platform black talent, platform talent from underrepresented um, artists on the island. Uh, and, and that has kind of been, a, I guess, a precursor into my role at, at WME. So I will come to your question. <laughs> I'm aware that you asked me about my role at WME. No, it's, it's completely fascinating. And <laughs> obviously, um, I have to make mention of it. Obviously, when you started the, the seven-day program out in Ibiza, it was so fitting to have Mr. Seven-Day Craig David oh, <laughs> to, yes. to, 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 to do that with. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know what? I think we missed a trick there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, and then, you know, fast forward 12 years, um, you know, the, the, the pandemic came around. Um, you know, the death of, of George Floyd came around and, you know, I feel like a lot of people had this moment when they were reflecting on, 
you know what they were doing from a professional point of view from a from a social impact point of view and for for want of being too deep like the meaning of why we are here and and, and what we are doing and i felt like i'd taken my role at Ibiza rocks as far as i i could um and i was looking for new opportunities to expand myself and to and to put that mission into you know other avenues so it was my relationship with Stormzy's agent um, at the time uh, that introduced me to, to WME. And I was introduced to Lucy Dickens, who's the um, head of global music at, at WME, who invited me for a chat. Um, we discussed, you know, everything that WME was w- were doing. And for those of you that don't know um, about WME, William Morris Endeavour is essentially one of, if not the biggest talent agency in, in the world, you know, representing musicians, actors, writers, directors, athletes, influencers, speakers, you know. And just to add that, not just any, like the list includes Stormzy, Dave, Adele, Bruno Mars, Dua Lipa, Tyler the Creator, uh, and the Foo Fighters to name a few. Yeah, I mean, and that's just the music (laughs) roster, right? Yeah. Like I, you know, I feel like every time I'm sitting down on the sofa with my wife and we're watching something, whether it's music or if it's film or if it's sport, I'm like, I know it's double <laughs> time. So you know, it's 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 a it's a real kind of like um, you know industry leader when it comes to representing talent um, and the opportunity to to work in, in in that environment was something that I I I had to you know I had to really take note of and you know n- never had I envisaged being part of an agency you know I was always on the on the other side of the aisle as it were you know booking the talent being the buyer and negotiating with the agents you know and trying to get the best deal whilst the agents trying to get the best deal for their clients so you know I didn't think I would ever cross over into that world but I was introduced to the role of crossover agent (laughs) literally um (laughs) literally um which effectively means that I sit in this um I guess in this dynamic of the ecosystem within WME and the wider parent company of Endeavor, um, to offer a, 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 a link to the various parts of the network. Um, so you, you listed a couple of artists there, you know, Stormzy and, and, and Dave are people that we work with closely in the London office. And I sit within the music department. Um, most of these or all of these musicians and talent will have a responsible agent that looks after their touring. So booking their shows, booking their festivals, um, building their careers through through their touring aspect of their of their lives. Um, but almost all talent now um, have interests in other business verticals, whether it's through books, whether it's through acting, whether it's through production companies, whether it's through um, philanthropic approaches and, and social impact, they have an interest in, in many areas. And I think most artists now see that that's the way that they form the greatest legacy. Yeah, for um, their brand, effectively. For their, right? for their brand, you know, and, and COVID was a reminder to a lot of people that you need to have revenue streams and you need to, uh, to enable yourself to have legacy beyond your touring. So that's where I come in. Um, I, I help um, bring opportunities to our talent that are outside of the the regular touring space. Um, I help filter inquiries that come into our talent around that. Um, and I help strategize the way that they can bring those ideas to life, um, whether it's connecting to our ecosystem, whether it's connecting um, a musician with an idea, a content idea that they have around a documentary and connecting them with a host of our 
production companies that we represent to bring that to life, to take it to streamers and take it to broadcasters, or whether it's they have an idea for a book and, and helping to get their, their book published and sold, um, or if it's around um, social um, interests and social impact. Um, and a lot of our talent have, have a lot of interest in those spaces as well. And, um, you know, we have an incredible um, impact inclusion department at WME that, that help bring those ideas to life. So, yeah, I, I, I think I may have answered your question. No, you, you, <laughs> you, you, you more than, you over-delivered, <laughs> let's put it that way. And um, it's very interesting because quite a few things you said there really resonate with the meat of the conversation, which I was hoping for us to get into, representation and looking to be seen. Um, I want to call this segment, Why Is This The Case? And a report by the Black Lives in Music found that 88% of black music professionals believe there are barriers to career progression in the music industry. 88% is a staggeringly high number of individuals from the black community finding themselves of obstacles or barriers to progress within the in music industry itself. So spanning the, the career you've had, no, no doubt you've seen and walked variously of the experiences, but I'd like to get your initial thoughts on, on what that stat or that report findings does show and perhaps what barriers you've seen or might have experienced yourself in relation to that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the Black Lives and Music guys do some really great work. And, you know, I think that um, for any progress to be made in this space, then, you know, researching and reporting on this type of stuff is is super important. Oh, yeah, and numbers don't lie, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and also when those type of stats come out and you read them for the first time, being someone of, of black heritage working in this space, it, it's not surprising. It doesn't surprise us, which is also kind of kind of staggering. Um, become numb to it almost in a way. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, f for me, you know, my experience of growing up as a black heritage person, you know, I was always in spaces where I was maybe the only one, whether it was in my classroom at school, whether it was you know, moving to university, whether it was working in Ibiza, you know, you can, you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and for a long time growing up, you almost don't realize, well, I didn't realize that I might have been the only person in the room that had the same experience as me. And then when you start to become a little older and a little wiser, and you start to reflect on some of the things that you might have gone through that you might not have seen as a barrier at the time, but absolutely were a barrier it, it, it starts to become more real to your your own story um being the age that i am now and the career that i've i've had and, and and seeing the music industry through a more mature lens right now the barriers almost come at, at every level at entry level point for um for people within the music industry often are the fact that uh, many of these entry level roles whether it's you know as an intern or a apprenticeship or a junior level and they may well be centered around London they may be um, fairly low paid they may be in in parts of London that maybe there isn't a huge representation of, of black heritage people whether it's you know in West London or whether it's in other places and the barriers that people have are often social and, and economic barriers um, and some people that maybe could afford to take that internship role and be paid peanuts. Um, some people can and some people can't. And I, and I think that's a barrier 
to yeah. a lot of the representation, whether it's from Black Heritage people or, or or otherwise. So I think there's a you know there's a there's an there's an entry point issue, and then more importantly, I think also because the entry point issue is improving, and you know if you look upon the reports from Black Lives in Music and and also in the UK diversity report, the numbers for entry level people from from black and underrepresented people is is higher at entry level than it is at mid and senior level. Um, so for me, that shows that we're losing people through that journey. Precisely, because the someone's like saying that the, the talent is there, and obviously it, it kind of reminds me to the grassroots conversation. Obviously, on the eve of the Women's World Cup, and we've seen staggering numbers which show the amount of young girls who at teen when they come teenagers fall out of playing football. So it's almost a case of what is not being put in place or what is there a lack of, which means they don't follow through. And I guess in a similar case, the music industry or entertainment industry as a whole seems to be falling full at, at the same point almost. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would say that there's been a huge amount of improvement and there's been huge strides made in the last few years. You know, it's easy for um, for us to say that there's a lot of work to do, and there always there always is. But there's also, you know, there's also green shoots. Yeah. Um, when I used to come into the WME office as a as a talent booker and walk around, I would not see a, a single face that looked like mine. Um, that was in, you know, that was maybe five to ten years ago. Uh, you 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 walk around now, and we have a, a such a better representation of our clients you know and i think that's the important thing here whether it's in whether it's in sport or whether it's in music you want the representation that is consumed by the public you know whether it's the football players on the pitch or whether it's the musicians in the charts to be represented by the people that are behind the scenes that are making those things happen um and that is starting to improve like i said we can you can see it um, you can see it at the entry level point for sure in in WME, but WME and and others, the representation as you go higher up becomes less. And going back to that, you know what's what's missing there. Sometimes it can be the fact that the job doesn't finish by getting people into the building, you know, and that is a challenge in itself. How do we reach people? How do we show people that there are opportunities within this industry? And again, just using the very kind of like crude examples of you don't have to be a rapper or a manager to be in the music industry and you don't have to be a striker or a winger to be in the football industry there are so many roles that go beyond that you know whether it's agents whether it's legal team whether it's marketing whether it's whatever else that looks like there are a huge amount of opportunities out there um and i think one of the parts of the of the job that I feel like people in our position and podcasts like this can do is to make people aware that there are great opportunities to have a career in this industry that isn't necessarily front and center but you can build a really great industry um, career um, through these other roles so that's part of it and you know and access and getting people interested in those roles and where to find those people and getting them into those kind of entry-level positions is is one thing but then really and this is the bit that I feel like needs the most work at the moment is the is the support of people to give them the opportunity to grow within the business and the, um, the development piece the development piece you know it, it's it's not treating everybody the same you know once they're in the building it doesn't mean that that it it's now 
we treat everybody exactly the same because people come from from different places different privileges different, different privileges different experiences their home life might be slightly different where they have to travel from might be slightly different the amount of money that they can spend on their rent to stay in london might be different so everybody has slightly different um experiences and i think that you know from an hr point of view from a management point of view i think there has to be a lens that is we're not going to treat everybody the same. We're going to treat people slightly differently because that's how it is. And then also giving people the tools to be able to grow within that environment so you don't lose them. So all of the work in getting people into the door is not lost because now they want to go and find another role because they've not been supported to grow within that industry, to grow within that role. And there is the opportunity to break through ceilings, to break through the, the ceilings that maybe they might have seen in the past so that... When we look upon this and we listen to this podcast in, in 10, 15 years time, then, you know, there is a greater representation of people from underrepresented backgrounds at senior level that, that are making the decisions that, that, that really matter. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, a, it's an entry level piece. It's a development piece and it's supporting people to grow. And I think that is the piece that needs the most amount of work. Attention. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, like just, just to summarize, because <clears throat> you made some, some brilliant points there, I think. One is, is that representation piece. No doubt there's a lot more Jordan Hall parks out in the world. So it's a case of unearthing them and allowing them to be bold, be brave and be seen. I'm Max Barnett from Delta Tray. And I'm David Kushnan from Leaders. And in season one of The Blueprint, our podcast series on strategic thinking in sport, we chatted with strategic leaders from the Football Association, Formula E, Seattle Sounders, New York Jets, New York Yankees and Sky Sports. Fascinating in-depth conversations with people at the heart of conceptualising, executing and delivering on strategy. And great news, Max, we've got a second series. We're going to have another set of conversations and this time we want to dig into the heart of great strategy with people who are deep in the weeds of doing it day in, day out. Yeah, DC. And if season one was very much around the why and the what and some great conversations there, second season is really getting into the how of how people are executing strategy because it's often not publicly shared and uh, we're not really seeing the day-to-day in terms of the execution. So we're putting the call out to you, the sports industry. If you know someone who is doing this stuff brilliantly or differently, let us know. David.Cushnan at leadersinsport.com or at David Cushnan on Twitter or via either of us on LinkedIn. And join us soon for season two of The Blueprint. We're looking forward to it from Delta Tray and Leaders. One thing you really mentioned, which I would love to dive a bit more into, is the tools. And um, you made the great example of everyone assumes that as a young, black, but let's say boy growing up in in, a, in a London, it's either you become a rapper or an athlete. Everyone needs to be aware that, hey, Stormzy has a whole marketing team, a whole business team behind him that makes him who he is, this global phenomenon. And to that reference as well, we've seen how in the world of sport, we're seen through the hashtag murky um, initiative, which is really about unearthing those roles and the development pieces to show underrepresented groups that there are other roles which show them the, the business side of sport, the marketing side, the commercial side. Have you seen something similar in the world of music and entertainment? And if so, please do share. But how would you begin to, to structure something like a, a hashtag murky to kind of fall in lane in the world of music and entertainment? Yeah, I mean, Stormzy's someone that 
you know, we always look to for inspirational direction in, in a number of lanes, whether it's his, his work as a musician, his, his work within the education sector, um, you know, and now his, his work in football. And, you know, I always say this, that, you know, sometimes some of the things that Stormzy announces might take people by surprise, but they, they settle in for like a second and then they make perfect sense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So talking about the, the hashtag um, Murky FC initiative, you know, that's a drive to improve the representation of black heritage people behind the scenes in football. And we only need to look in the Premier League or look at the England team to see that the representation of black heritage people on the pitch is, is great. You yeah. know, and, and thriving. It's th absolutely thriving. And, you know, we, we have now one of the most, um, I guess, for in my lifetime, the first time that there's a team that I really feel like I can get behind, you know, like a team that represents us as that, a, that being the national team, the national yeah. team. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to people behind the scenes and those guys have done their own research, you know, black heritage people are, are, are extremely underrepresented. So, you know, that initiative, which is fantastic, you know, season one had 11 partners and they had roles for, for black heritage individuals, you know, full-time roles that gave them the ability to, um, get into sport behind the scenes, you know, and I think that there's something to be said about a program like that, probably in, in most, Every industry. <laughs> most industries, <laughs> yeah. but certainly, certainly in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Um, where, where black culture and the diaspora of black people is so highly influential, right? Mm -hmm. In, in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and, and, and in the music space, you know, I think there are, you know, there are a number of initiatives and, 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 and programs that, encourage that sort of development you know i think that there's some really good good work being done in in, in various spaces but what at the moment what stormzy has is and, and you know working alongside side adidas they have a, a an amazing platform to reach the right audience mm. and i would expect that one day we will probably see someone in the music industry with a similar with a, reach, with and a similar reach and influence that that could also do do the same and I think that, you know, that's something that would be, you know, really well received within the music industry. Um, but then there's also a ton of people right now that are are focusing on that, I guess that preparing young people for the interview. Um, and one of the partners in Murky FC is a recruitment platform called Diverse. A guy called Toby runs that. And I was introduced to him before the Murky FC project came about and you know, he has a community of people that are looking for for roles and he is targeting black heritage individuals. Um, and he helps with the tools to make them confident, um, confident in their abilities to fulfill these roles and also the tools to be successful in their applications. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, things like this are, are really important, whether it's in football, whether it's in other industries, whether it's in, in the music industry, it's, it's giving people the confidence that they belong in these spaces um and and giving them the tools to to thrive um and and yeah and i think once people are in those roles then making sure that there is no ceiling because yeah. there still can be some some gatekeepers that will will stop you from progressing of course yeah and it reminds me of a typical saying of uh, i can be invited to the party but i haven't been asked to dance so it's almost that piece of yeah i'm included but do i feel like i belong mm -hmm. And um, of course, uh, I would love to 
draw upon the comparison between some of the challenges faced in the world of sport and how you compare that to the music and entertainment field. But on the music and entertainment piece, what are some of the unique DNI challenges that you think it faces day to day? I think, uh, and again, I don't know whether this is specifically unique. It's it's only my kind well, of very pers- prevalent pers- perspective from 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 the music industry. You know that historically, um, it has been dominated by white males, mm. and white males in these positions have grown with the industry, which sees them becoming into senior roles. Um, and that means that these senior roles are often dominated by by white males. Um, and, you know, this is a much kind of wider discussion point, but at some point there needs to be an acceptance that in order for there to be change at the top, when in order for there to be change, you know, systemically throughout, throughout the industry, that opportunities need to be given for people to grow up the ladder. Of course. And, you know, and I, and I, and I think that's, there, there, there can be, how do I put this? There can be gatekeepers that, that want to stop that, stop that growth. Oh yeah. Cause it, it, it almost falls into line up. It can be seen as threatening, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, that was probably the word that I was trying to avoid, but you said it, but you know, and, and that, that's, you know, that's the same in, in many industries. That's the same in, in politics and society that when, there is the potential of 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 threat then often the you create reaction a barrier to is it. is barrier yeah. you know so to get through those barriers there needs to be more representation but there also needs to be the allies that are going to yes. that are going to enable us to be invited to dance and everybody knows we're going to dance better so <laughs> <laughs> and, and and there is there's a friendness and also we we spoke to some of the, the challenges unique but I'm also keen to have some takeaways of, of learnings of where you feel that the music and entertainment industry is shooting up green sprouts and, and thriving in certain spaces and where you feel perhaps the world of sport can probably take lessons from music and entertainment and not implement, but almost from afar be like, okay, uh, I see what they're doing over there. Perhaps we can rejig it and kind of create our own version of it. Mm. I, th- I think a lot of it that we've probably seen throughout history in 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 music in terms of pushing the culture forward is through ownership and mm. through entrepreneurism yeah, the music world has trailblazing that in my it, opinion it, it, exactly and you know and a lot of the um a lot of the most successful musicians that we see around the world who are from black heritage have been entrepreneurs you know and have, have created the brand and have built the team and have offered opportunities and have effectively, you know, created a market, you know, around from the, from the ground up from, sometimes from, from, well. the, from the ground up. Um, and I think that's the same, you know, in, I think that's where we see many of the successes and that's where often you can force your way through the ceiling is because there is, you know, people cannot ignore. And often that comes in line with, um, you know, the finances and the revenues that are being generated that breaks you through the glass ceiling. But I, I kind of, I want to draw upon a, someone that I've always looked to as a really influential figure within the music industry, um, a guy called Obi Asika, who's, he's an agent. It's an agent that I worked with closely when I was booking talent and when I was booking a lot of the talent in my days at Abitha Rocks. 
and he's one of the most influential agents in the world. He runs an agency, which is actually one of the rivals WB, <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean I can't look to him as someone that's, you know, super influential to me. But um, it, it's so funny. So It's so funny how I also feel there needs to be a, a dismissing of the politics that doesn't allow us to align and create United Front, which allows us to spearhead and create the change we want, where because of certain business contexts, we can't work together yeah. or we can't be seen in collaboration on certain things. When it's the, the, for the greater good, surely we must find ourselves superseding those kind of limitations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, feel, and I, and I feel like, you know, especially in the, in the talent agency world, the connections that you have with your brothers and sisters in different agencies often is that connecting point, um, which is great. And I think it's, you know, I think it's good for the industry. I think it's good for your careers. Um, but Obi runs a, um, a festival called Afro Nation. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. Um, and he tells me the story of him effectively representing a lot of African artists um, before Afro Nation was created. And these artists were huge superstars in their own right on the African continent, performing um, to a huge amount of people, selling a lot of tickets. And he found it was difficult to find opportunities or get the promoters to, to back booking them for festivals. Um, maybe because of them being from Africa, maybe because those numbers that they were seeing, they maybe couldn't quite wrap their heads around whether that would translate into a into a UK audience or a European audience. So he created a festival for them. So you know, Obi effectively was the entrepreneur that created a space for this music to thrive in Europe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is like sometimes it's the it's the entrepreneurial ambition to create something of your own. Um, and and you know and just blast through that glass ceiling, which which is sometimes the only way to make it happen. And I you know and I think that you will see you, you know we see that in sport. You know we see that with with brands around people like Marcus Rashford or Bakai Saka, um, people that are creating brands around themselves, creating initiatives around themselves, and uh, you know and and really like creating a, an ecosystem around themselves, which gives opportunity to to them, the people around them. And, you know, I think that's something that feels similar to, you know, the likes of a Jay-Z or Puffy or Stormzy, you know? So yeah, I think there's similarities there and I think there's probably more of that to come. No, uh, and I hear it and I'm here for it fully. And um, it, it kind of allows me to appreciate the, the thinking of, hey, if you're going to put the glass ceiling in front of me, then why not go and create my own building where I have no glass ceilings in there at all? And those glass ceilings that we speak to, obviously, they are nuanced in how they're perceived and faced. And we also see the gender imbalance in, in certain aspects within the music entertainment industry. And that transcends a similar line to which you've discussed already, where it's women in, in senior positions across the industry. And you also have measures of pay and so forth as well. How far have you seen that come, that gender balance over your 10 years plus working in the, the creative space? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like I said, the music industry is is always been dominated by men in those kind in general, of, in, yeah. in general, in those, in those positions. Um, I'm also totally aware of the privileges that I've had being a man in this, in this industry. And there's been times when I also look back on experiences where I think, okay, well, maybe I 
I didn't act appropriately in, in, in an environment where we should be given opportunity to more, more women. And I think that's important. I think it's not, it's, it's important to, to make sure that, you know, sometimes, um, reflection is, is an important part of a part of growth. And I think also that women are getting more opportunities now. Um, I, I think that the senior women in the music industry are super important to, to creating more opportunities. So, you know, my, my boss at WME, um, is a woman called Lucy Dickens, who I referenced earlier. And she's, you know, she's Adele's agent, you know, she discovered, <laughs> she's, she, you know, she started working with Adele when she was 15, you know, so she's an absolute behemoth in the, in the, in the music industry, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm sure that she still is environments where there's a, a, a table full of men, you know, and I'm sure that sometimes can feel uncomfortable for her. And I think that it's as men in those environments, it's to make sure that we see women in this space and make them feel comfortable to yeah. be who they are without the history of them trying to be someone different than who they are, you know, like in, in, in some way needing to portray themselves to, uh, to align themselves in a man's world when, you know, this is not a man or a woman's world, you know, we should be happy to be who we are. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a difficult question for me to answer self. being a man, yeah. but it, you know, I, I feel like there is progress being made. I feel like there's probably a lot more um, that needs to be done. And especially when it comes to black women in the space, I think that that is something that the music industry needs to be accountable to. And I think that there is a lot of work that still needs to be done to make sure that black women in the space um, feel comfortable and do not feel like they're on the receiving end of daily microaggressions because it's real it's it's it's, it's absolutely happening no and, and i'm very right some and you spoke to it so well so um thank you for um elaborating on that point so eloquently just for we, for we wrap up because I, I could sit here and, and, and chew both ears off all, all day but I, i'm keen to wrap things up with uh, of understanding in your opinion one i've noticed that you're attached as a co-founder to loads of various entities so i'd love to know what you have on the horizon or, or what you're, you're brewing away in the background because you are a, a beacon and a pillar within the community and when you look at the, the industry now where do you feel efforts need to be directly poured into so where do you feel now the biggest change needs to be seen for us to progressively move in the right space within the creative space so kind of two final questions yeah Thank you for your kind words. Were you just speaking to my mother? Or is that it? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's what she said yeah. in, in, in the email. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've I've always really enjoyed kind of like the conception of ideas and projects. Um, you know, some work, some don't. Hey, um, you have it, to you have to take. If you don't shoot, you don't score, right? Exactly, exactly. And you know, I've been a co-founder of of a few things. Some I'm a part of still, some that I'm not. But I, you know, I really like that conceptualization stage. You know, bringing an idea to 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 life. Um, and before I joined WME, I definitely I felt like I had the space to spin those plates. Yeah. Now I'm at WME, I definitely don't have the space to spin those <laughs> plates. But what it what the what the role enables me to do is it enables me to be entrepreneurial within within mm. the walls of WME. Um, it enables me to work with, you know, literally like the 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 biggest book of talented minds you can ever imagine and you know if you have an idea um 
you know, I'm going to use an example of a conversation that I had the other day. Um, I won't mention the DJ's name, but it's, you know, a DJ, electronic DJ that's really interested in skateboarding and his manager really wants him to create some kind of lifestyle brand or event that combines the world of electronic music and skateboarding, skateboarding, which, you know, I think it's great. And we can, you know, immediately it's like, okay, well, we represent Tony Hawk. So can we talk to Tony Hawk? We represent, we represent um, Naya, a real breakthrough skateboarder in the US. And we represent a ton of electronic DJs. So like, it's about, you know, building those ideas and building those businesses now, not for myself, but for our clients. Um, And I think that's, what I'm really trying to do whilst I'm here at WME and I've been here for like a year and a half and it's, you know, it's a new role. So I've, I've certainly been kind of like learning on the job. Yeah. There's no playbook, you know, like you create it. And that's kind of like why this role is interesting. Um, but I also, I'm, I'm trying to bring through the mission that I feel like I've always had, which is telling the stories and platforming people like myself, people from black heritage, um, to help them build greater equity, whether it's for themselves, whether it's from their family, whether it's for their community. Um, and also helping to tell the stories, not necessarily of just the, the, the biggest people, but trying to, trying to find those, um, nuances in interesting stories that feel like they have to be heard. I work with a DJ and producer called Jules. Um, and yeah, you know, I knew you'd know about Jules and, you know, Jules is a, Jules is a prolific DJ and producer, Ghanaian roots, um, you know, a real kind of like pioneer and trailblazer in the Afro scene. I don't want to call it Afro beats, but Afro beats, Afro pop. Um, and he's, you know, he's produced music for like Wizkid and, and Stormzy. And, you know, he's just someone that really kind of like unites a lot of the African diaspora music genres, whether it's you know, from from the West Indies, whether it's from London, whether it's from North America, whether it's from the African continent, into a place that becomes this like really beautiful storytelling, whether it's through his music or whether it's through just speaking to him. So, you know, platforming people like that, um, giving those opportunities and helping to grow their careers and helping to grow their businesses is something that, you know, is really exciting to me. So, you know, you won't see co-founder next to my name for a minute, but I'm hoping that you know, I can and I can help a lot of our talent become founders of other opportunities that are outside of their then their normal kind of DJing, singing, performing like landscapes. Uh, I think and, and to wrap up there, uh, I think nicely put you are well positioned, and I, I can feel how authentic and, and how much of a drive you have to make people being the light for lights to shine brighter. Uh, and I think you, you definitely encapsulate that for, for your day to day. Well, Jordan, that's all we have time for today. As we know, time can be our biggest enemy and also our best friend. But um, I appreciate you taking the time to catch up and uh, to feature on, on this season's Leaders Need Our Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Chef. Thank you. And that brings us to an end of this episode of the Leaders Need Our Podcast. Thank you all for listening. We just want to say a huge thank you to our guests, Jordan Hallpike, and to our diversity series partners, Prime Video, IMG, Adidas, and Delta Trey, for helping us bring to you the Leaders in Detail podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please do spread the word, and you can send us any thoughts or feedback on LinkedIn or via email at jade.amies at leadersinsport.com or jovan.odega at leadersinsport.com. Until next time. <laughs>